Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You joined us for Complete in Christ. This is episode three, entitled, Who is Jesus? It's the episode for Sunday, February 4th, 2024. Recently, I joined a CrossFit gym, and for the first time in my whole life, I began to learn how to do jump-ups, like to, to do a vertical leap from just a standing position. Fascinating. <laughs> I discovered that even though I was only starting out, I, I tried to start with an 8-inch box, and I could do it, but not confidently, and probably would have hurt myself. So I dropped down to uh, two or three weights stacked up, so something like four to six inches. And to start with, that was pretty good. But I discovered something. I discovered Big Mo and jump ups. If I could get that rhythm and that momentum to to burst upward from the floor and jump up with all my energy, it was easier to jump. Sort of like a running start, only stopping from a, a vertical, uh, <laughs> you know, a flat position on the floor and jumping straight up. So that helped. So if you're here today and you've not listened to episodes one and two, then after this episode is over, I encourage you to go back to listen to episodes one and two, Complete in Christ, so you can get the benefit of Big Mo, that running start, as we're early in this study of Complete in Christ. Do you remember the singer Jewel? She had a song entitled, What If God Was One of Us? What I think she was asking was, what would he be like? Would we recognize him? Well, you know what? We don't have to wonder because Jesus Christ is God who became one of us. And when we see Jesus, we see God and exactly what God is like. Now, the church at Colossae, which was a, a church in the New Testament times, and this would have been about in the uh, AD 60s, somewhere in there, it had false teachers called Gnostics, and I don't care if you ever remember that term beyond what me just saying it, but there were false teachers who were trying to confuse the church about who is Jesus. They began to teach falsely that Jesus was like um, just a step on the way to God or he's like an angel or a created being, but he could help you come to God and all of that. This is completely wrong. We have cults today that teach similar things. And we're going to see today who is Jesus, who he really is, according to the Bible. Now, we've already been through a good bit of the first chapter of Colossians, but I'm going to go back a little bit to what we covered last week. I'm going to read those verses, but I'm not going to comment on them. So you have to listen to episode two and also go back and listen to episode one. But let's go to Colossians 1, and we're going to start in verse 9 with the verses we looked at last week. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, 
unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So that's what we saw last week. And now we're going to begin to look at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And when we think about that last verse we read, in whom, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Many years ago, there were missionaries in India meeting with the representatives of the various religions that are in India. And one of the Indians asked the missionaries, they said, uh, uh, tell us one thing, what can your religion offer the Indians that mine can't? You know what the missionary did? He thought for a minute, that's always a good idea. <laughs> the missionary thought about it a minute and he replied, forgiveness. Only Jesus Christ can offer forgiveness. You know, that's a great answer because of all the religions in the world, they cannot offer forgiveness. And this story was in our daily bread. and it's, it's a great story. There was a British Bible teacher and speaker named David Pawson, and he said this, that he said, and I'm quoting him, I've talked to the most devout Muslims who pray five times a day, have journeyed to Mecca, have fasted during Ramadan, and are more devout than many Christians. But when I ask, do you know if your sins are forgiven? They said, we don't. We just have to hope for the best. Well, you know what, friends? As we saw in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, we can know that we have forgiveness of sins when we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, who is Jesus? Well, there could be as many as 7 billion opinions, but there's one answer that matters. You know, in a day when professing Christians who don't know their Bibles are being lured into trying to contact their angel or pray to their angel to seek spiritual protection or experience or guidance, it is vital to understand the question, who is Jesus? This is one example I just said of how people are being led astray today. By the way, do not ever pray to an angel. Do not seek to contact an angel. If you need angelic help, God will make sure you get it. And by the way, angels are not there to do your bidding. They do the bidding of God on the behalf of those who belong to God. So if we need help, we need experience in a matter or wisdom or guidance, we should go directly to God. If he wants to send an angel to help us, that's up to him. Every time, by the way, that people see angels in the Old or the New Testament, it is a, it is a, a shocking experience, overwhelming in most cases. They are not uh, our good buddies. 
And another good reason that we should not seek to contact angels is this. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light. And his ministers, those that serve him, whether they're angelic beings or even false teachers, they can do the same thing. They can appear like, well, it just had to be of God. They were such wonderful angels, wonderful preachers, whatever. All right, so who is Jesus? Is he a great teacher, a great prophet? Is he an angel? Or some people say he's an ascended master. Are they right? He's an Eastern mystic. Is that right? A religious leader next in line to be God? Maybe he's an extraterrestrial alien. There are actually people that teach that. A human philosopher, a phantom that is, He only appeared to be real, but he didn't have a body and he was only a spirit. Or he's artificial intelligence. Have you heard of AI Jesus? I'm here to tell you that is not Jesus Christ. That is a a software program and it's programmed. So the answers it gives are the answers that were put into it. Now, it may quote the Lord Jesus Christ sometimes, but it can also give advice. Listen, do, do not go to AI Jesus. I'm just telling you. The Gnostics, those false teachers that were bothering the church at Colossae, and they're still around. They don't, they're not called that today, but that kind of teaching is still around today in, in many regards. In Christian, um, I say Christian, I should say that, but in cults, and other religions is still there. And the Gnostics taught basically like, hey, Jesus Christ is not really, okay, he was a great person, but he's not really special. He's not really God. He's more like an emanation or a uh, sort of like a stepping stone to God. So uh, he can help you, but there are others above him and they will help you too. That's a lie. That's totally a lie. Listen to me carefully. If you come to this podcast sincerely, and good faith, and you do not know who Jesus is, I'm going to tell you point blank, and I'm going to show you from the Bible. That's the one answer that matters. What does the Bible say? Jesus Christ is God, period. In his earthly ministry, he is seen as the God-man. Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, explain that. I can't explain it. It's too deep for me, and it is for you too. But we know that he is the perfect God-man. When he took on a human body at his birth in Bethlehem, he was no less God than he was before Mary had him in her womb. He is fully God, yet he is fully man. That is a divine mystery. How can that be? That might be what you're asking right now. Hey, listen, let's get honest. Most of you listening right now do not understand electricity or how water comes out of the faucet at your kitchen sink. But you don't sit in the dark and you don't die of thirst. You use the light switch and you turn on the faucet. I do not fully understand that. I don't think any human being fully understands that. But Jesus Christ is the perfect 
God-man. Fully God, yet fully man. In his earthly ministry, he is, listen to this, he is the exact representation of God. He's not sort of like God or reminds us of God. He is God, even in his earthly ministry. Let me say it a different way. When you see Jesus, you are seeing exactly what God is like. And he stands in the place of absolute preeminence over all of creation in heaven and earth and the universe, for that matter, or anything outside of the universe, which there isn't anything because that's what the word universe means. It's all things. He is tops, okay? How do I know this? Why, why can I say this? All right, let's go to first chapter of Colossians. We're going to go to verse 15. That's where we're really going to start today. Verse 15 says, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, right here, we're told, like when, when it says, who is Jesus? He is the icon. He is the exact faithful representation of the invisible God. God is a spirit. God the Father, and he cannot be seen. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus is also the firstborn, the prototokos of every creature. <laughs> Here is a great illustration. There was a chapel, a cathedral in Europe that had a beautiful painting of God. It was, it was beautiful. Everyone wanted to see it. The problem was the painter had painted this beautiful picture of God in this chapel on the ceiling, but it was a very narrow, small chapel. And people could hardly even look up enough to fully see the painting. So the, um, the priest there had a great idea. He placed a mirror at ground level and he tilted it so that the worshipers, when they came in the chapel, they could look in the mirror and they could see the image of the painting above. And it was a faithful representation. That's that same idea. The word icon for, for used for the English, that's the Greek word for the English word image here, is a mirror-like representation, meaning it's very close in resemblance. Uh, think of it like a, something that's high definition. Icon is an artistic representation, like you would see on a coin or somebody carved a statue. But listen, this is the important thing right here. The Greek word icon that's the Greek word where we have the English word image, who is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word can also refer to a visible manifestation of an invisible and heavenly reality or a living manifestation of God. 
An icon exactly reflects its source. And it in no way does it mean it's like, well, it's just a weakened image or like a, you ever had a bad copier in your office and you copy something and you say, this is a terrible copy. It's not like that at all. And in fact, this gets even deeper into what icon or image means. It is, it, it implies in that word an illumination of what it reflects of its inner core and essence. That's deep. Think about what I just said. So, first, you could think of it as it is a likeness, as in the image uh, on a coin or if you look at an image in a mirror. But second is manifestation. That is, that we can see God. Now, so what was the problem? Well, the, these false teachers, listen carefully, they, they were teaching that Jesus was one among a, a series of, of many lesser spirits descending in sec, sec, like a sequence of inferior position from God. Oh, the lower you got in them, the less authority or power they had. <laughs> Paul says, wrong. When you see Jesus, you are looking at God. They were trying to say Jesus was like uh, some being on the way to God. He's, he's tops, period. William Barclay, the great commentator, said this, the Gnostics has said that Jesus was merely one among many intermediaries and that however great he might be, he was only a partial revelation of God. This is completely wrong. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. Now, what about this word firstborn? Prototokos. Now, Walter Martin, who's going to be with the Lord, was uh, the leader of the Christian Research Institute. Some, and he also had a, a radio program called The Bible Answer Man. He was the original person on that program before he passed away. I'm quoting Walter Martin, who was a real Christian egghead, and I say that with love in my heart, <laughs> because he was. Brilliant man. The word firstborn, prototokos, refers not to the first one created or born. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses try to say this. Incorrect. The word firstborn, prototokos, refers not to the first one created or born, but to the one who has the preeminence or the right to rule as an heir has the right to rule over his predecessor's estate. So this is a very important thing. Jesus, let's go back and read verse 15. Talking about Jesus now, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This doesn't mean that like he was born like only as a man. He's just a man. That's not what that means at all. It means he stands in absolute, preeminence 
the highest rank in creation because he created it. I know this may be shocking to some of you to discover this. You've always, you've always thought wrongly, possibly, about the Lord Jesus Christ because you do not know your Bibles well. Now, I know many of you do, and you understand what I'm saying. But for some of you, you are thinking like, um, well, I'm going to pray to Mary, and then she's going to pray to Jesus, and Jesus you know, as a great prophet or a great teacher or something like that, he's going to put in a good word for me with God. Jesus is God. And you don't have to pray to Mary. You can pray directly to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul teaches the truth to refute these lies of the Gnostics where they said Jesus was like an aeon. So there's a, there's like a, like a phase in which God worked with man. Let's put it like that. Like an immeasurably or an indefinitely long period of time that Christ was one of the eons. Say, so, well, what are all these weird words? Well, it's the words these false teachers use in Greek trying to sound like they were PhDs, and by the way, you know what PhD stands for? Piled higher and deeper. <laughs> Think about that. That's what their degree is worth. And um, they were placing him before all creation. So, what are we talking about here? Like icon, we find prototokos in the Alexandrian vocabulary of the Logos, the teaching of Philo, and in the Greek Septuagint. Paul takes these two words, icon and prototokos, which would have been familiar to the people in Colossae, some of them anyway, and he uses the same words correctly to emphasize the Godhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, he's not like the Mormons teach, that he was a, a man who became a God. That's not true. He, Jesus Christ was always God before he became a man. He's not a man who became God. Jesus Christ is God, who was born in human form that he might be our redeemer. And he is the icon, the exact express image of God. And in, in relation to everything that's ever been created, the universe, he is the prototokos, the firstborn, that is the preeminent first in order of importance. There's no one and nothing that outranks the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the creator of all things. Did you know that? He is. Verse 16, for by him, and I believe I remember from my studying that in Greek, this, this really is for in him, that is, he is the sphere or the realm within which all things were created. For by him were all things created, katizo, that means to create a new thing. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. That's everything, people. Visible and invisible. That's everything, right? Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Do you realize what this means? This means that we do not need to go through spiritual emanations, entities, eons, or ascended masters, or angels, or anything, or anybody before we can go directly to the absolute ruler of all things, Jesus Christ. That's what this means. He created everything that we see and things we don't see. Where it uh, lists the words there that uh, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, this most probably refers to angelic beings. There is, although we're not really told a lot about this, we're told very little about this in the Bible because we don't need to know it. It's top secret. It's on a need-to-know basis. If you need to know it, you'll find out. (laughs) But whatever ranks there are among angels, whether they're good angels or the fallen angels, God's good angels serve in ranks. They have jobs. And so do the angels, the few that rebelled with Lucifer. We call them demons. They are highly organized, like a a crime network, a spiritual mafia. (laughs) And we don't know a lot about the words we just read, but we know enough to know that even if, I mean, they do exist, and even though they exist, they do not outrank the Lord Jesus Christ. He created them, even the ones who rebelled and are fallen. And obviously, if this it, it relates in any way to human authority and all of that, we know for sure that he created all of that. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So Jesus is the creator of all things. Wow. Man, I, I'll tell you what. Let me, let me go back to this prototokos one more time, being the firstborn. Ray Stedman, who is a Bible teacher, said at one time he was at a uh, church where he was going to be preaching, and the great theologian, Dr. Carl F.H. Henry, was there. And he thought, I'll never have a chance like this again. So he asked him a question. And he regarded him in his own words. He said, I regard uh, Carl F.H. Henry as the greatest theologian alive today. So he thought, well, I'm going to ask this question. So here was his question. How would he translate that phrase that we saw just a moment ago, that he is the, uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? All right, this is what the great theologian Carl F.H. Henry said. It should be translated, the primeval creator of all things. That means first, people. Jesus is the one who possesses as the heir or owner all other things. The sense of the word prototokos, firstborn, used there 
is that he is the owner. He's the possessor. He's preeminent. And he is, let me put it in down-home terms, sometimes we describe him as large and in charge, which he certainly is. Now, in both Greek and Jewish culture and thinking, it was normally the firstborn son, or the firstborn was the son who had the right of inheritance. Like, think of Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Esau was born first, like a a few minutes before Jacob. Esau was rightfully the firstborn son. But, because he did not fear God when he was older, he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob, who was the younger by a few minutes. Then, guess what? Jacob was considered from that point on the firstborn. He was not the firstborn chronologically, but in terms of the blessing of God, he was the firstborn. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Doesn't mean he was created. It means he is a creator who owns it all. And he's in charge of it all. Even these false spiritual beings who are trying to trick people through idol worship and Gnostic heresies and all of that to to consult them and go through them and they would put in a good word for them to God. Oh, so wrong. Verse 17. Listen, people, it gets deeper. Hang on. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, hang on. And he is before, in the the Greek, you can think of it this way. He is before the all. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Ed? The all. Everything you could possibly think of, visible, invisible, it doesn't matter. He is before, that is, he's preeminent above the all. He And he is before all things, and by him, here it is again, the all consists. All things consist. Now, put on your thinking caps. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, part of that verse in talking about the Lord Jesus Christ says, upholding all things by the word of his power. And right here we have exactly the same thought in Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and by him, all things consist. See that word in English, in the King James, consist? The Greek word is sunisteken, and the verb is sunistano. Well, bless me, Brother Ed. What does that mean? This is important. It is, it's in the, first of all, the word consist in English is in the perfect tense. Now, what this means is, in Greek, this is very important. 
he created all things. By the way, out of nothing. He created all things as a past action. There is no evolution where things are rolling on and on and new things are created. You know, that that doesn't happen. This means that this creation and the things that consist are a past action with continuing effect. You know what that means in English? It's permanent until he says it isn't. Now, in physics, I'm going to put it like uh, Dr. Max Planck said. He's considered the father of modern physics. About almost 100 years ago, somewhere around then, he said, and I'm just paraphrasing, that when you when a scientist looks at everything in the universe and takes it all in, he doesn't see chaos, he sees order. And it's an order that clearly shows that this is a creation, not a, um, not a happenstance. There is order to everything in the universe. And what he was saying was, and he, he said it, had a hard time saying it, I guess, but he said it basically is, there is a God, is essentially what he was saying. This did not just happen. Now, the first law of thermodynamics is the conservation of mass and energy. You cannot destroy matter. You can't destroy it. You can change it, like from water to ice to vapor, but you can't make it go away and disappear forever. And mass and energy are conserved. There's nothing that's newly created, and there's no annihilation of matter. Now, say, well, come on, Pastor Ed, you're losing me. All right. Let me put it like this in Colossians 117, because you ask, who is Jesus? All right, I ask it for you. He is the reason that everything holds together. That's what that Greek word sunestekin, uh, the verb sunestano, means. So let's put that in the English reading here. And he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. All things consist. In the book, The Adam Speaks, you ought to get that book and read it, by D. Lee Chestnut, just like the, the nut. Basically, he points out that when scientists look under an electron microscope at the atom, and they do their research, I don't even know how they do all this stuff, but whatever they do, when they look at it, they can't understand how it holds together. Because by everything we understand, it shouldn't. Every single atom should be a massive nuclear explosion exploding the entire universe and everything dissolves. But it doesn't. 
It holds together. Now, one day, as we saw in our study of First and Second Peter that we just came out of uh, in the last month or so, in Second Peter chapter three verse ten, we're told that one day all of this is going to dissolve. It's going to melt. But right now it doesn't. Say, so, well, in a nuclear weapon it would. Yep. But that's a controlled chain reaction. One day, everything we see will melt and be burnt up. And God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, let me, let's dig a little deeper here. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This means that, that what we see is permanently framed until 2 Peter 3.10, where it's dissolved. But right now... It permanently framed. It happened in the past with continuing results. Perfect tense. Think about what I'm about to say here. In the 19, early 1940s, I, I don't know the exact date. I'd have to go look that up. But under the squash courts at the University of Chicago, in a secret location, that's why it was under the squash courts at the University of Chicago, because World War II was going on, and it was a race between the Nazis and the Americans as to who would split the atom. The scientists and engineers in the nuclear program in the United States of America in World War II held their breath one day because they were about to initiate what they hoped would be a controlled, limited splitting of the atom, a fission. Or it could be a catastrophic, cataclysmic chain reaction that would dissolve the entire universe. Here's where you should go like, are you kidding me? They didn't know the answer to that question. <laughs> they were pretty sure they knew they could control it, but they didn't know absolutely they could control it. You ought to just sit here a minute and think about what I just said. Well, they pushed the button and we're still here, so evidently they controlled it. <laughs> Colossians one seventeen means Jesus stands first in the order of priority over everybody and everything, and it is he who holds all things together. And as we saw from Hebrews 1, verse 3, he does that by the word of his power. One day, and I'm, I'm just saying this as an example, all he has to do is say dissolve, and everything we know dissolves. Because it shouldn't be holding together now, he is the reason the universe and your life and mine hold together. And by the way, if, if you are not a Christian yet and you, you want to become a Christian, you will discover to your wonder and amazement that no matter how crazy your life is now, when you come to Christ, he becomes the central holding together power in your life, no matter what you go through. So we can hold together the universe and he holds together 
your life. Now, we're going to see something else of who is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the first in importance, first in the order of importance of the resurrection. He is the first, the leader of many to come to be resurrected. So where do I get this idea? Uh, out of the Bible. Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. That is, he is the archi, the starting point. There isn't anything that doesn't start with him. Who is the beginning, the firstborn, there's that word again, prototokos, from the dead. So he's the first one to ever conquer death, never to die again. That's true resurrection. So what about Lazarus? Did he raised from the dead. Lazarus died again. Jesus Christ is the only person to ever rise from the dead, never to die again. That makes him absolutely unique in world history, unique in the universe. He's the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence. Man. <laughs> wow. This is in the, uh, the, perf the present tense. He always is preeminent. All the time. There's never a time that he's not. Hey, well, why did God set it up this way? I have an answer for that. And guess where it comes from? The Bible. Colossians 1.19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You know, Leonardo da Vinci painted The Last Supper. You've seen that. The whole world probably has seen that. Did you know the original painting? It took him about three years. And before he unveiled it publicly, he showed one of his trusted friends the painting. And when his friend looked at the beautiful painting of the Last Supper, Jesus, of course, is in the middle and he has uh, a hand raised. And in the hand of the original was the cup. And his friend said, Leonardo, that is a beautiful cup in the hand of Jesus Christ. And Leonardo da Vinci knew that he failed. He went and got his paints immediately and painted the cup out of the hand of Christ so that now when you see the picture, you just see his hand raised because the cup, beautiful as it was, did not show the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are to adore and revere. And it pleased the Father that in him, should all fullness dwell. Now, this is starting to get to the, the issue with the Gnostics. <clears throat> they were telling the people in Colossae who were born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and loved him very much and were living every day for him and were faithful to the Bible and knew that when they died, they would live with him forever. In fact, they didn't know for sure, but he might even come in their lifetime. 
and they would be raptured to meet him. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. The Gnostics, these false teachers, are saying, well, you know, you, yeah, you got Jesus, but there's so much more you need to know. You need to know what we know because we're in the know and you're not in the know. But if you would just follow us, you can be in the know like we're in the know. Do you know? Did you understand what I just said? <laughs> it's okay if you didn't because they don't know what they're talking about. All the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, overflows in Christ. J.B. Lightfoot, a great commentator, basically put it this way, the the the, the pleroma, the fullness that the Gnostics promised if you went along with their system, <laughs> the, the fullness is in Jesus Christ. And J.B. Lightfoot said, the, is, think of it like this, that when you look at Jesus, you see the totality of God's powers and attributes. When you look at Jesus. Now, one more verse. Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me add this to that same idea. Listen, this is, this is critical. Jesus is not the halfway house, as one writer put it. He's not a waypoint on a long, long journey to God. Jesus is God. When you are saved by him, he's in your life. You have all of God that you will ever have. The, the growth factor in the Christian life is God gaining all of you on a, a daily process of maturing and growing spiritually in Christ. We don't really ever get more of God, but as we read his word and we yield to his leadership by his spirit, we follow the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully in this life, he gets more of us in terms of leadership of our life. Now, verse 20, and we're going to stop here. Let's see. Uh, we'll read all the way through. We may come back next week to some of these. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now we'll look at that more next week, but this verse teaches that Jesus is a reconciler and redeemer through his sacrificial death and his finished work on the cross. In verse 23 to close, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, 
whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. All right, we've looked at a lot of deep things today because we've been looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. You've done great. Gold stars all around every one of you who made it to the end of this podcast. Listen, some of you listening today are not Christians and you know you're not a Christian. Some of you listening think you might be, but you're not sure. Every one of you need to know for certain that you've repented of sin and you've turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, that He was crucified, dead and buried because of your sins, and He was resurrected the third day, proving that His sacrifice on the cross through His blood paid the full price for the sin debt that you and I owe. He's ascended and He's coming again. You need to trust Christ. Trust Him right now where you are, confessing that you're a sinner and asking Him to save you and give you the new birth. You may wish to speak with someone about this. You can call a Christian ministry to get help. 888-388-2683. 888-388-2683. Oh, this has encouraged those of you who are Christians and are growing in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll be back next week with episode four, Complete in Christ. Hey, before you go, do me a favor, like this episode, follow the podcast if you've never done that, and share this episode right now with someone else. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week if I'm still here. Bye-bye.